You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Jason Berry as he delivers Christmas Together, Mighty God. And so Merry Christmas, 12 Stone. We're so glad that you're with us in this Christmas Together series and season. And I know there's among us many of you that are popping in during this Christmas season that you're a guest and you're sort of newer to us. We're so glad that you're here. Maybe you're watching online. Man, we're glad to be able to do Christmas together with you. Uh, today, we, uh, we, we've been talking for weeks about bring your ornaments to the tree outside. There's a tree in the middle of the lobby here and across all the campuses and their lobbies. And I wanna, I wanna reveal my Christmas uh, ornament. Pastor Kevin last weekend, he brought a Harley uh, with Santa riding a Harley, which is, that's, that's his thing. I'm, I'm just gonna be about my family um, and just, this is, this is my little loving family. This is Christmas 2012. This was the first year I had all three, my wife and I had all three kids. It was our first Christmas as a complete family of five and as any good uh, family Christmas ornament is, it's been hot glued back together several, several times and y'all don't, don't act like you're better than me. You got some of them too. So we're in this Christmas season, and I'm just kind of curious. We talk about Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus. Is there anybody here today that's expecting a child that's pregnant? I'm just curious. Here across all of our campuses, anybody? Hands up around the room. Okay, there's a couple. Congratulations. Three of them are happy for you. The rest have kids and know the difference. Let me, let me tell you something that, uh, that they don't teach you in premarital class. Actually picking names for your kid is harder than you think. Y'all, y'all been there before, you're naming your kids. It's more complicated, there's a few rules. Let me give you, those of you ladies who are pregnant, let me give you some sort of ground rules that'll help you not have as many fights. If you pick a name that either one of you have ever dated, off the table, right? <laughs> hey, how about we name her Stephanie? No, I remember Stephanie, I hate her. We're not naming our daughter Stephanie, right? If, if, if there's a memory attached to a name of a guy who was mean to you in high school or the kid who ate glue in kindergarten, that name's off the table. You can't look at your kid every day and think about that. See, my, my wife and I, we went the route of, of alliteration. So we've got Luke, who's 12, Lizzie, who's 10, Lincoln, who's 7, and it's super cute and it's cool. There's L's everywhere until they get in trouble and you get mad and you can't get to the right name. Lizzie, whatever you're, you stop doing that, right? It's... It's not, it's not helpful, and my kids are thrilled right now because every time I mention their name in a message, they get a dollar, so I just lost three bucks for y'all. So naming, naming kids is complicated. And let me, give you, let me give you one more layer of advice from my mother-in-law. Think about what you're gonna name your kid before you get to the hospital to deliver the kid. And remember, there's a middle name as well. And so she ended up being handed the birth certificate saying, what's the name you'd like? And she picked out of thin air these three names for her three middle, her daughter's middle names, Rochelle, Sushel, Lushel. And when I asked her what they meant, she asked, I have no idea. I was ju- I'd just given birth. I was picking names. See, a, na- a name matters, and my wife has that name for life, for good or bad. See, the name you give your kid, think about it, it's, it might be the longest lasting gift you ever give your kid the name that goes with them. And that's why, as we sort of unpack this Isaiah 9 prophecy about Jesus coming to earth, it matters the four names that God assigned to Jesus. In fact, let's read this together in Isaiah 9. For for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, last weekend, Pastor Kevin unpacked Wonderful Counselor, 
And that's a beautiful name for Jesus. Next weekend, we're gonna unpack Prince of Peace. And it's just a beautiful, he's gonna be your counselor, your Prince of Peace. But Mighty God is a name that demands a response. See, God didn't just pick this name randomly. Like, okay, he's Mighty God too. No, he is saying this baby is not an ordinary baby. He is God. That is a massive claim. Saying, listen, this little baby is the king of the world. This is not just a normal baby in a crib. This baby is the king of the world, the one true almighty God. And the reality is the same God who parted the Red Sea and helped David fell Goliath and had the walls of Jericho. That's it. That is the same God. He is king of all the universe. Jesus rules on high. You see, and a mighty God demands a mighty response. In fact, I wanna, I wanna give us sort of how we're gonna filter this teaching. This is the question, sort of the blank that you're gonna fill in for yourself. And here's what it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. If Jesus is king, fill in the blank. And I didn't finish that for you on purpose because we prayed, even last night in prayer, God, Holy Spirit, would you, would you begin to fill in that blank throughout this teaching? Because if Jesus is king, it demands a response from you. You can't say, Jesus is king, period. You have to say, if he is king, then I, I have to respond. My life can't stay the same if Jesus truly is king, mighty God, king of the universe. Mighty God demands a mighty response. So if Jesus is king, what's that gonna mean for you, Christmas 2019? For some of you, you've never declared that in your life. And today you're gonna have an opportunity. For others, the spirit of God's gonna start to put things in this blank. If he really is king, what's your response? See, Kanye West has got this figured out. What's the name of his album? Jesus is King. That's a great name for an album right there. Jesus is King. Here's the cool story. True story happened maybe a month ago. My 12-year-old son and I were driving. We had a little road trip to go on in a about 45-minute trip, and I decided, let's listen to Kanye West. I want to hear this new album, something I never thought I'd say about me and my son, listening to Kanye. <laughs> so we listened to the whole album together. It was a pretty cool album. Got my Chick-fil-A. And so we were, um, we were listening to this album. And, and, the, and the cool thing was this. As the album played out, it finished. And on Spotify, when you finish an album, it jumps to their next album. Uh, you know what's coming. And I had to quickly jump to the volume knob and turn it off and go, oh, we're done with Kanye for a while, right? But it was actually beautiful. Because my son asked the question, how come we just listen to all these songs and Kanye's talking about Jesus, but the last album he put out has all these bad words, a little E, expletive next to all these. He knows what that is. He's not supposed to listen. What, why? And I actually got teary-eyed in the car. I got to say, son, that's what happens when you, when you recognize Jesus is king. See, Kanye's changed because of it. See, Kanye knows how to fill in the blank for his life. If Jesus actually is king, and I'm not Yeezy, I'm not, I'm not actually king. If Jesus is king for him, my life is totally surrendered. I'm no longer a rap artist, I'm a gospel artist. I, that's, that's what happens when you recognize Jesus as king. See, you, you can't just look, say, yeah, that's good enough. You've gotta fill in the blank for your life, and we think the Spirit of God's gonna do that for you today. And so if Jesus is king, I'm curious, what do kings sit on? Thrones. Bruce, would you help us out here? 
with the gaudiest throne you've ever seen, if you don't mind. Look at this thing. I got the best text of my life this week, a text I've been waiting on for 37 years. Our creative director texted me, Jason, comma, your throne has arrived. And I said, yes, it has. <laughs> now, this throne has no real meaning to it, except it's a, it's a prop. There's no real king. Real kings wouldn't have pleather, right? This is, this is just representing the reality of this. And, and thrones are for kings. And anyone know what the seating capacity of a throne is? One. You don't, you don't want to sit double inside this thing. It gets crowded. See, if Jesus is king and he sits on the throne, we got some splendid to do, don't we? we got some things to wrestle down. And I think God wants to use this picture throughout this teaching today because the second that King Jesus hit this earth as a baby, earthly thrones were challenged. And we're going to read about this story in Matthew 2, if you want to turn there with me, page 966. We're going to read sort of the, the second half of the Christmas story, and you're going to understand why we're dealing with the throne here. So I'm gonna, let me catch you up what we're about to read. So Jesus had just been born, and the Magi, which most scholars believe were kings or really high dignitaries themselves, were traveling to go see baby Jesus. But what happened culturally back then is if you crossed through another king's territory, you would sort of go to the, that palace and you'd kiss the ring and you'd say hello to the king's of the territory you're traveling through. So the Magi show up to King Herod's temple and it doesn't go how King Herod's expecting. We're gonna pick up page 966, Matthew 2, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Pause. That's not what King Herod was expecting. Go with me. King Herod, chilling in his throne. Life is good in the throne. This is actually comfortable. Life is good in the throne. He's king. Oh, the Magi are coming, some other foreign kings. Send them in, let them kiss the ring. And they go, hey, um, we're looking for the king. Think about, think about this. You're Herod, you're going, am I not in a, like this is a big gaudy throne. How do you not, like you've heard my name, King Herod. They're asking, where's the king? But like my kids showing up at home after school and seeing me in my throne, the recliner, and going, hey, we're looking for the man of the house. Excuse me? You're looking at him, big boy. You're about to not walk right if you don't see this one right. It's the man of the house. What are you talking about? I'm, this is me. That's Herod. He's sitting in this throne going, wait, you're looking for who now? I'm the king. See, Herod didn't know how to process this. And so when the Magi left, he, he pulled together some of his uh, sort of spiritual advisors and scholars and said, what are they talking about? And they told Herod about some prophecies that a king would come out of Bethlehem. And let's pick up the story in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Foreshadowing. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh, 
pause. You're seeing very quickly, if Jesus is king, it demands a response. Herod's response is to start to close up, get scared, grab his throne. The Magi's response was very different. They worshiped him, and they gave him gifts. And these gifts were very strategic, and they're very expensive because they represented things. These gifts pointed to the fact that Jesus was king. You see, the gold represented Jesus' kingship. At that time, only people of that kind of stature could own gold. Then you go to the frankincense. It represented his deity, that he was truly God. He was king. He was God because that was used in religious ceremonies to worship and pray to God. And then the myrrh represented his humanity. He is God wrapped up in human flesh because the myrrh is used as an embalming substance after a body has passed away. It's sort of foreshadowing that Jesus is going to die in our place. See, when you look and see the kind of gifts that were given to Jesus, these magi have sold out to the fact that Jesus is king, and they're bowing. And the magi, they left to go back to their kingdom. And before they did, God gave them a dream. And in the dream, God said, don't go back to Herod. He's up to no good. And then God gave Joseph a dream and said, take Mary and Jesus, and you go flee to Egypt, because Herod's up to no good. And then in verse 16, we look and we see what Herod's response to Jesus as king is. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, you read that right, and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That's a dark, dark part of the Christmas story we very rarely read. It's a dark part of the story. Herod truly is a villain. But you see, when the true king shows up, it demands a response. And you don't know how you're gonna respond until he shows up. And when you try to protect your throne, it drives you to do some pretty dark things. And for Herod, hundreds and hundreds of babies lost their life in his trying to protect his throne. If Jesus is king, then what? It demands a response. You see, Herod was the villain in the very first Christmas story and really, if you think about it, every Christmas story has a villain. Think about this. How many of y'all like to just lay around, watch Christmas movies by the fire over the Christmas sort of break? Anybody? Y'all like to watch Christmas movies? Bah humbug to the rest of y'all. I love it. <laughs> My wife and her mom and her sister, they love to watch Hallmark movies. Um, and stop talking because they're the worst. I hate them. And men, can I get an amen? Hallmark movies are the worst. Anybody? Thank you, Jesus. There's only seven actors and two plots for all of them, so stop. Oh, small town girl. Anyway, shut up. Oh, Hallmark movies. We don't, we don't watch them in our house until the kids go to bed and I can go watch a different TV, so we don't do that. But our, our favorite Christmas movie, Home Alone. Anybody like Home Alone? It's just, when you hear that first soundtrack, it like brings Christmas to your soul. Like it's here, Christmas is here. Uh, also Jesus. But so, we've got Home Alone. And in every movie, there's an enemy, right? So if you, how many of y'all remember, what are the names of the enemies in Home Alone? Mar, I got Marv, right, and Harry. In A Christmas Carol, who's the bad guy? Scrooge. We're, we're, it gets easier. It's, in It's a Wonderful Life, who's the bad guy? Mr. Potter. This is the easiest. In The Grinch, who stole Christmas, who's the bad guy? Good job. And then most importantly, in Die Hard, who's the bad guy? Hans Gruber, thank you, it's a Christmas movie, it's beautiful. <laughs> yippee ki end it there. 
because Jesus is king. We end it there. See, in this story, Herod is Hans Gruber. He's the, he's the bad guy. He's trying to stop Christmas. He's trying to ruin God's plan that God has for the world. And I, I want you to know in this, who is Herod? Herod is the Roman-appointed governor of Judea who took office around 40 B.C., so 40 years before Christ. And he was known as Herod the Great because he was a builder. That's what he was known for. He built massive aqueducts, these water systems. He rebuilt Solomon's temple. Literally, when I went to Israel 10 years ago, I saw the footing that was at the bottom of the temple that Herod built. This cat built things, and he had a legacy of this. Spent decades of his life doing this, but he was also ruthless and paranoid. So when the Magi showed up, I said, we're looking for the king. Everything inside him just started to turn it into knots. Because he had spent 40 plus years connecting the right dots, making the right relationships, swinging the right deals around to finally get the throne. And then he's been amassing wealth and building his kingdom and making something great. He wanted to be known as Herod the Great. And he wanted to hold on to that. And suddenly this stinking baby shows up and is going to take everything. He couldn't let that happen. Everything in him grabbed to hold on to his throne, his control, his kingdom. See, when the real king shows up, it demands a response. And to ignore Herod's part in the story ignores one of the themes and threads of God's redemptive plan. Listen, if you're taking notes. If Jesus is king, someone has to be dethroned. What's the seating capacity of a throne again? Uno. If Jesus is king, someone has to be dethroned. And you're not going to like what I have to say next because it's true. There is more Herod in you than you want to admit. There is more protect my kingdom, make it my stuff, make it my decisions. There's more of this in you than you like to admit. And when you hear that, listen, Jesus is king. He is king. That means it's all his. Something in your soul just goes, I don't like that. There's a wrestling match. You know why? See, Christmas is not just a story about Jesus being born. It's the story of a clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of you. And those two kingdoms are at odds. And when we talk about the Christmas story, it's less of a cozy night by the fire and more of a wrestling match between the kingdom of God and your kingdom. And this wrestling thing just, it happens inside of us. And we want to, like Herod, we want to hold on to our throne God, if I could just hold on to my throne, I, I, I want to keep my decision-making, my stuff. But if Jesus is king, how do you respond? See, there's one of my favorite things to do is actually wrestle with my boys. I love it. I get home from work. They come. Sometimes they'll sucker punch me. I don't see them yet. It's not fair. But then, then it's really on, you know? So we're, I love the wrestle. So what I do is I pin them down and hold them down with my superior strength, intellect, and speed, and I hold them to the floor. And then I arrange my legs so I got one hand free, and they've got all four limbs pinned. And then I make eye contact, and they know it's coming. And I start tickling, tickle, tickle, tickle. And there, I watch them. They, they know exactly how to make this stop. 
all they have to say is, I love you, daddy. That's all they have to say. And then it's over, that quick. But I, I watched their little will try to hold on. They're trying to hold on, and I'm going, say it, say it. And finally, their will, they can't hold on any longer. I love you, dad, and it's over. I love, I love the wrestle. I love what that, what that says to them. I love that. But we all know this wrestling between kingdoms. If you own a company or if you have people that work for you, if you're in a company, you know there's a wrestling for who has power and who makes decisions. There's wrestling. If you have to keep a budget, which we all should, you know the wrestling of, of a budget because you set the budget, then you see something you want, and there's a wrestling between two worlds. Welcome to Christmas shopping. See, how many of you saw the news this week? Knockout hunger, Vision 2021 is all over the news. Isn't that exciting to be a part of that, feeding this county and this territory? Man, I love being known as a church who loves people, don't you? I love that. But don't pretend there's not a wrestling in this. Don't tell me that there's no one in this room that thought, man, school lunch day, those, those people got themselves in that problem. What are we doing? Really? Is that how Jesus treated you? There's a wrestling in these food boxes going, I'll throw a box in the mix. And you know in your heart, I could do 10, I could do 20. And there's just wrestling inside of that of how this plays out. And, and for me, I believe that God wants to help us wrestle this stuff down. So I took my youngest son, Lincoln, in the cupboard this week. It's full of food. We are so blessed. We have and all the food that we need, and we're looking around it. And I said, Lincoln, what would you do if there was suddenly no food in this cupboard? He didn't quite understand why we're doing these boxes, so I'm trying to help him see it. He said, so what would you do if all the food was gone in these boxes or in this cupboard? He said, I'd probably just go to McDonald's. <laughs> I'm going, that's not food, son. Um, I said, okay, the food's gone, and you also, you have no money. Now what are you gonna do? And I saw it start to wash over him, like, well, I could, no, well, I could go. He said, there are kids who really have no food and no money. I said, yeah. He said, I, he said, where? I said, all around us. See, I'm helping my son to wrestle down things that he doesn't even see yet. And God wants to do the same thing in you. There are things you don't even see that God wants to wrestle down. There are places where you are still holding on to your throne. And God wants to help you wrestle those things down because surrender precedes a move of God. And just like Herod, we all have our kingdoms. I got my kingdom. I've got a career, got a house, got a couple cars, got three kids, got a bank account, and I like to make my own decisions. And if you read this, this story wrong, if you don't catch the heart of God, it's easy to think of him as a tyrant who sent Jesus to steal your kingdom. When in fact, God sent Jesus to invite you into his kingdom. He didn't come to steal your, you think he needs your 20 bucks? I don't think so. He didn't come to steal your kingdom, your decision making. He came to invite you into his. And a kingdom is only as good as its king, and you make a bad king. A kingdom is only as big as its king, and you're a small king. And suddenly the spirit of God starts to wrestle with you and say, I want to invite you into my kingdom I'm doing things bigger than anyone could imagine on this earth. 
And when we collectively pull food together and resources together and go bless the community, you're now taking your little kingdom and bringing it into the kingdom of God. He has no interest in stealing your kingdom. He wants you to come in and be invited into his kingdom. And Herod couldn't see that because he was so focused on keeping his tiny little gaudy throne. He was so, so concerned with keeping this throne that he couldn't see God's heart for humanity. Jesus didn't come to steal your throne. He came to rescue you, save you. See, Jesus is a gift, but it's hard to see it as a gift because you gotta swallow hard. It takes a gulp, like, ooh, that's hard to, hard to stomach. Sort of like this, if Christmas morning, some gifts are harder to receive than others, but at Christmas morning, you wake up, you got two gifts under the tree. One of them is a book about dieting, how to lose weight in 30 days. The other book is about how to change a bad attitude. You're like, what? First of all, I got bad friends. I got to change friends. But if you got those, in order for you to receive those gifts, you'd have to admit, I'm overweight and I got a bad attitude. And no one wants to do that, right? Those are not good gifts. And heaven forbid you get someone a Peloton this year. That's, that's not in the notes. Don't do that. See, Herod couldn't accept the gift of Jesus because in order to do so, he would have to admit, I'm not king. I can't hold this all together. And for many of us, it's hard to accept the gift of Jesus because in order to do so, you have to admit, I am so messed up. I am so unable to save myself. I am so inept at keeping my whole world together and keeping it tidy and right. I am so jacked up that literally mighty God had to come to me. And he had to live a perfect life and die in my place. The only king in all of history that would come, sit on the throne of heaven, come down to earth, and instead of grabbing a throne, die for you. It's hard to receive Jesus because in order to do so, you have to admit, I can't do it myself. And many of us are just comfortable enough. Got just enough in the bank. My marriage is just functional enough. My kids are just good enough. My job is just fulfilling enough that you can look in the mirror and not see your need for Jesus. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit right now, in this moment right now, would be saying, you are missing out on the biggest kingdom in this world. God is not out to take your kingdom. He's out to invite you into his through Jesus. See, I want you to see how this plays out. I want to bring you the freshest story I have. I always like to collect stories of all that God's doing, and I love hearing stories from here and the campuses. And I, Sometimes I think we wait too long to tell stories like we wait till everything's perfect and the bow's tied and it's five years from now and it's okay, now we can tell the story. This one's a month old. I want you to hear something this, this fresh. This is like a month old. I want, I want you to know this couple. It's Ed and Iona Bartline from the Snellville campus. Snellville campus is going wild for them right now. I think they're in this service. So Ed and Iona, if you remember back, we had a night of prayer in September and we invited the church, anybody, and we'll stay as long as we're gonna stay until everyone's prayed for. If you're carrying something, a burden, if you're asking God to break through in something, you just come and we'll pray for you. And so Ed and Iona showed up um, together. Well, Iona showed up and she drug Ed. Ed did not wanna be here. It was obvious he didn't wanna be here. Uh, Ed had lived a 
tough life. Made some really bad decisions along the way, prison time, other things. And for basically his whole adult life, he has been an alcoholic. And his wife, Iona, was done. I can't stay married to this guy. I can't do this. And so she brought him to get him fixed. <laughs> some of the ladies, you're thinking about that right now. Don't do it. So they happened to be in my wife, Amber, in my line. And so when they showed up, they said, she basically did all the talking. I want him to stop drinking and I want God to fix our marriage. And so will you pray for us? And I did. Jesus helped. In Jesus' name, amen. And they left. And it's almost the second they left. Ed and Iona, you don't know this yet. When you left, God would not relent on bringing your names back to my mind because I regretted so much how I handled it. I prayed for you and I sent you home. And so two months later, they come back. Ed went back to drinking and now Iona's really done. Like she's done, done. And I was so glad when they walked back in because I got a second shot. And Ed showed up and Iona pulled him in again and it was very much similar to the first one. And Ed said, all right, will you pray for me? And I said, no. I am not gonna pray for you, Ed. And you can imagine the shock. Like, you're a pastor, that's kind of what you do. <laughs> I said, Ed, this is not magic. That I just pray for you and cast you a magic Harry Potter spell on your life and everything's per That's not what this is. I can't ask God to do something you don't want him to do. You talk to God. And Ed's like, I don't know. I said, just start talking. And Ed, God help my honor not to leave me and help me stop being so bad with alcohol. I'm like, no, stop. You're talking to the God of the universe, mighty God, king, and he happens to be your dad. What would you ask him? And here's what I watched Ed do. He showed up, sitting on his throne. God help fixing on him, stop complaining. God help me to... Uh, get a little more control on the drinking thing, and yeah. And when I watched him pray, I watched a grown man start to humble himself. And there was no throne there, but I watched him spiritually do this. He started to break, and he started to cry, God, I can't do it myself. Oh, Jesus, my life's a mess. My wife is gonna leave me, and I don't know how to fix it. God, if you don't do something, I don't know what to do. And I watched him bow. And I watched him leave the throne of his life. And I said, stop, that's it. And I said, now I pray. And so Jesus, would you show up? Jesus, would you break the chains on this man's life? Break the chains of alcohol, God. Would you restore a marriage? God, we prayed, we prayed God's kingdom down. And Ed cried, and I want to cry, and they're begging Jesus for this. And since that night, four weeks ago, Ed has not had another drink. Not a single drink in his life. Isn't that incredible? See, that's the power of bowing to mighty God. Iona said to Pastor Trey at the Snowville campus, Pastor said, you need to tell Jason. I need you to get back to Jason and tell him, you don't know how much Jesus is healing everything. Our marriage is incredible. He's a different person See, why did I regret the first time I prayed for them? Because I let Ed leave thinking he could borrow from God's power instead of bowing to it. I let him leave thinking, Ed, you can stay on the throne of your life. 
And God will help fix that if I just pray. And I by no means believe that. Not for him, not for you. I let him think he could stay in control and get God's power when the reality is if you don't bow, you don't get the power of mighty God and king. See, Ed discovered Jesus isn't trying to steal his kingdom. He's trying to invite him into his. Ed discovered the power and it's so easy to sit there and go, yes, Ed needed that. Man, he needed that breakthrough. Really? See, Ed had more Herod in him than he realized. And he had to crawl off the throne, and so do I. See, when we share stories, it's so easy to sanitize them. And I have no way of explaining to you the story I'm about to tell you is gonna sound like a three when it's a nine inside of me. Man, I hate abdicating my throne. Just when I think I've got things Locked up, I start grabbing for the throne again. So my wife and three kids, we went to a little Mexican restaurant down the road from my house, and it was kids eat free night. Praise Jesus, any parents of young kids, right? <laughs> so we showed up and uh, went through the line, let us get all the way through the line, got to the register, and all the kids' meals were supposed to be comped, and they said, oh, actually, it's only for the tacos, and you guys got burritos. You going, come again? Like, the only difference is one flips out, like, it, it's the same, I don't, of course you can fix this, right? And they, they said, no, tacos only. <laughs> and this sounds, I'm, I, I'm so, it's so silly. But in that moment, I felt like someone was attacking my kingdom. You're going to take 15 bucks that I was not planning on spending tonight. That's mine. And I let her have it. I didn't, I didn't cuss, but there was no confusion. <laughs> My wife was there, three kids were there, and I let her know, how dare you? How dare you let me show up to this place? I will never be back here again. I embarrass myself. I went and sat down, I thought, they'll fix that real, real quick. And the Spirit of God and I had a conversation. It was a long 30 minutes of eating Mexican with my family. Because the Spirit of God said, why did you get so angry? I said, they're attacking my kingdom. He said, whose kingdom? I said, I thought we settled this. I said, oh, yeah. Well, God, I'll go do some prayers when I get home and apologize. He's like, no. You go make it right. And so after wrestling my kingdom, his kingdom, for 30 minutes over tacos. And, oh, yeah, kids. Oh, God, help me. And I'm back in this wrestling. I had to walk over to her, and it was humbling. I had to walk over to her, and I had to say, ma'am, can you come here? And she did. She did not want to see me again. <laughs> I said, I am so sorry. You are worth so much more than how I treated you, and I am embarrassed. I completely lost my cool over $15, and that is so dumb. I beg you to forgive me. I beg you to forgive me. And she was so much more mature than I was. She forgave me so quick. She hugged me, said, thank you. And I'm going, thank you, God. But don't pretend like there's not a wrestling match for the throne of your life. I wish this was one and done. I wish you could punch a card and all the wrestling's done. I'm just fully perfect living for Jesus. But the reality is Jesus might, might be on the throne of 90% of your life. And then you go, yeah, the way I date, 
I'll, I'll hold the throne on that one. Students, college, high school. Some of y'all go, God, you got, you got the throne, but not in my finances. I'll hold on to that. My checkbook's mine. God, you got the throne except in my calendar. I'll, I need to make sure. The way I make decisions is mine. You see, God does not share his glory. He does not share his throne. And some of us, you look at me and judge and go, ha, ah, how could you do that? I would never do that, really. <laughs> you got your places. You go, yeah, you got it, but just, God, if I could just get like, can I get like, can I do a one-cheeker? Can I just go one-cheek with you? You got the, you got the padded spot. I'm, I got, this feels better, doesn't it? No, okay. He does not share his throne. He does not share his kingdom. And so if Jesus is king, if he is king, fill in the blank. How do you need to fill in that blank? I think there are deeper places of surrender that God's calling us to. And a kingdom is only as good as his king. He didn't want to steal your kingdom. He wants to invite you into his I want to talk to two groups. The first group, I want to talk to the group that's more like me. You, you walk with Jesus. You've been a follower of Jesus. But the reality is, sometimes you crawl back on the throne. You can make subtle plans, just like Herod. Listen, show me the baby and I'll worship him. And you have no intention. He'll never get the throne in that area or that area. It's Jesus on the throne of your checkbook, your calendar, your relationships, the way you date, the way you parent your kids, the way you make decisions, the way you do business. Is Jesus on the throne? Where do you need to bow and surrender? It might be a good habit for all of us over the next season. Just wake up every morning and say, Jesus, you are on the throne. And then when you come to a decision, Jesus, you're on the throne. How should I make this decision for your kingdom, not mine? I'm about to spend some cash. Jesus, but you're, you're on the throne. Where, how, how, how does that affect me? I'm about to go have a, have a heart-to-heart with my kid. He messed up in school. But Jesus, you're on the throne. He's yours. How do I... Maybe you should, that should be as a mantra for you. Some of you carry stress and pressure, and in this season, you're in the middle of it and the weight of this. You know why? Because you're on the throne. That means you carry all the weight, all the pressure, all the responsibility. You're not a good king. Jesus is. I don't know where you need to bow. I don't know how you need to fill in the blank. If Jesus is king, then what? But I know this, every time I crawl up on the throne, I feel the weight of having to be my own king. And I crack under it, because that's not how we were designed. So maybe today, maybe you need to fill in that blank with some place you need to give Jesus the throne. And in a minute, across the campuses, the campus pastors are gonna step up, and they're gonna seal that prayer over you. But there's a second group. It's a group that you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never bowed. You've never surrendered. You're sitting firmly on the throne. And maybe today, like Herod, you're realizing, I'm protecting. And maybe the Holy Spirit would just awaken something in you and you'd say, I can't be on the throne. I wasn't designed to be. Jesus, I bow and surrender. I give you my life. I want to be a follower of Jesus. If you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe today's your day. Maybe you would fill in the blank. If Jesus is king, then I surrender. Maybe you've never said it. Maybe like Herod, you put on a better face and pretend, but you know in your heart you've never bowed. If that's you, the guy's gonna put a prayer on the screen. 
And in a minute, we're gonna all read this together here and across all the campuses. All of us out loud, family reads together. We, we go this way together. But there's, there are numbers of you who have never said yes to Jesus. And this prayer is not magic words, but it's sort of helping to put words to what you're trying to say. This is your moment of salvation, saying, Jesus, I'm yours, I bow. And as soon as I say amen, campus pastors, you're up. And would you seal this moment of prayer, but collectively all across the campuses and right here, let's read this out loud together. Jesus, I recognize you as mighty God and King. You came to rescue me. Please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me for all the times I made plans to keep you off the throne of my life. I surrender my throne to you. Help me to live the rest of my life for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. It's a beautiful Sunday. Why don't you stand to your feet? We just want to make it clear that the presence of God is here today. The King of Kings is here today. He invites us into an encounter of his presence. He invites us to worship him. So let us not deny him the glory and honor due his name. We're going to sing with hearts full of faith this morning. Yeah, I got his worthy. Come on. Yes, we worship. 